Welcome to the Career Pod, brought to you by Transition Solutions, transitioning for success. Today's episode will be hosted by our founder and CEO, Fred Studley. This is Fred Studley, and our next podcast will feature an internationally recognized management development uh, consultant, Doug Adams. During the course of the podcast, we'll learn a little bit about Doug and his uh, penchant for taking risks in his career and other areas. And as he expressed it, it really came from his father. Uh, The father had started businesses and it made a big imprint on Doug. So I think the bigger point is the impact that parents and family can have on all of us as it informs our you know, initial life decisions, and it it can follow us thereafter. Another point that uh, is uh, prominent in the podcast is the value of building your own brand through affiliation with best-in-class companies. In his case, he uh, joined McKenzie & Company, a world-class consulting firm, and also PepsiCo. So uh, his point there is that He learned a lot in those environments, he worked hard, and he benefited from those uh, brands. Uh, Throughout his career, he'll give us some examples of relationship building and the value of uh, making long-lasting relationships. Throughout the podcast, it's obvious that Doug uh, has the skills. It's important that if you consider uh, independent consulting, you develop a, a good toolkit and a sense of self-assuredness because throughout that whole process, uh, there are a number of rejections and your confidence uh, needs to be high to be successful. So uh, Doug Adams is next up. Uh, welcome, Doug. Thank you very much, Fred. Okay. So why don't we start uh, earlier in your life, uh, you know, early life, education. Tell us a little bit about that. Where, where are you from? Well, I was born in San Diego, California, when my father was in the uh, Navy. Actually, spent most of my youth and adolescence growing up in Nebraska. I actually went to the University of Nebraska. After my sophomore year, I kind of uh, thought, you know what? I need to take a break. And I ended up uh, doing VISTA. I became a VISTA volunteer, which is kind of a domestic Peace Corps. And I did that. And it changed my life. Hmm. I did my. I was sent for training to Baltimore, to the inner city. I did six weeks of training in the inner city, and and did uh, uh, projects and short-term assignments in prison and schools and community action organizations. And then when it was my time to be assigned, I ended up uh, living in the black community in Tulsa. Sure. And working with Native Americans and, and in the African-American community and, and so on. And I did that. And uh, I was elected by the VISTA volunteers for the southwestern part of the United States to represent them in Washington. Okay. And I did that. I met many people in the Equal Opportunity Administration and was asked when my year was up, do you want to train Peace Corps volunteers? And I said, absolutely. So I did that at the University of Oklahoma and Texas. 
I trained Peace Corps volunteers, and I got a phone call one day saying, uh, Doug, do you remember meeting me in Washington? He said, I now work for the mayor of New York City, and I think you would be a great asset to join our team. Would you like to do that? So one week later, I was uh, in New York City. Okay. And Now, how old are you at this point? At You've done point, a whole 20, lot. 22, 23 okay. years old. All right. I had yet I did I hadn't at that point graduated from you know college, so I went to work for in the mayor's office of New York City. Which mayor were you supporting? This is Mayor Lindsay. Yeah. Which, as someone said at a meeting yesterday, kind of dates me. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I did that for three years, and while doing that, I finished my a bachelor's degree in psychology at the City University of New York, which had, at one point, one of the best psychology departments in the country. So I did that and and continued to work for the City of New York in the mayor's office and decided and and found this thing called organization development. Right. I kind of, oh, I know what I did. I went to a two, a, a weekend symposium at the New School for Social Research in Manhattan. And it was on it was this thing called organization development, which I'd never really heard of. Right. But it resonated with me, and I was absolutely, like many things in my life, 110%, you know, wanting yep. to pursue that. So I met, uh, there was some faculty there from Yale and Harvard and so on, and I met with them and pursued it. And to make a long story short, I ended up going to Harvard and getting my, uh, my concentration in organizational behavior and my master's studied with two or three of the most renowned academics and consultants in the world in at MIT and Harvard that's that's why that early decision right. to to kind of take a take a break from my undergraduate days after my sophomore year was so pivotal was so critical so one thing just kind of led to another but what i want to say is this for some reason i think it was because earlier when i said i was born in san diego but grew up in nebraska my father was a risk taker hmm. he was the only he grew up on a farm in eastern nebraska he was the only one of six children who didn't end up spending his entire life farming okay after the Navy, he started. He he moved away to the western part of the state, where the oil industry was developing and the economy was booming. And he went there on his own with nothing and started a business and was relatively successful. And I think that kind of that role model of taking risks and kind of doing what you want to do, not what you think other people want you to do was something that really changed my life. So, so you I, could learn that at the supper table through discussion exactly. and observation. It, right, so and, and watching him manage and grow his business and so on. How uh, about your first, uh, so you had excellent training uh, in, in the formal sense. Yes. Uh, what was your first traditional job? Well, I, I guess I'd have to go back and say my, my first traditional job was that three-year stint with the discounting Peace Corps training and right. so on was with the city of New York. But my first real job of, from a, you know, kind of career point of view was I left uh, Harvard and was uh, recruited by McKinsey and Company, which everyone at Harvard wanted to work for. So it was, so I went to work for McKinsey and Company yeah. as, a, and as, as an associate consultant in the New York office uh, for McKinsey for about three or four years, both in New York and London. It was probably the best career decision I've ever made because 
once you've worked at McKinsey and Company, you kind of get the the good housekeeping seal of approval right. for the rest of your career. Yeah, it really helps your brand. It, it yeah. absolutely. And I did a lot of different things at McKinsey, working with uh, Citibank and American Express and working in London and other places in the world. After about three and a half or four years, I decided that working 100 hours a week was not something that I wanted to spend my, and traveling 90% of the time was not something that I wanted to spend my entire life doing. And when you're at a place like McKinsey, you get a lot of uh, job inquiries and offers and a lot of headhunter phone calls. and And I responded to one of those headhunter phone calls. I ended up uh, at PepsiCo. So I was the 57th McKinsey alum to go to Pepsi, (laughs) including at that time the CEO, the president of of Pepsi, uh, the head of marketing, and a lot of others. And they desperately needed one more. One more. One more. Yeah, so I went to Pepsi from McKinsey, also in New York at the world headquarters, and I was the head of uh, OD, uh, leadership. And importantly, at Pepsi, a succession planning. So what an incredible opportunity it was for me to land in this position where they assumed I knew what to do. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, just because I'd been at McKinsey. But at McKinsey, I did learn how to structure projects and discipline and planning and... and, uh, and project management and a lot. And so I hired some world-class consultants and we took what Pepsi had, which was considerable at the time that I arrived. And over the four years that I was in that role, uh, we developed it a great deal. And I learned an incredible amount about leadership assessment and development and succession planning and, and organization development and uh, a lot of other allied uh, disciplines. Now, that helped you set up the the toolkit as a consultant, uh, those types of programs. And even, as you mentioned before, uh, your ability to discipline yourself, to write reports, to manage projects. uh, And manage clients. Clients. And importantly, Fred, to learn how to manage and build client relationships. That was critical, and it became... When I look at it retrospectively, it was a critical skill and awareness and orientation that benefited me for the rest of my career. Yeah, yeah we should come One back of, to that a little bit later yeah, and, yeah. because it is a, exactly. a key skill for a consultant. As I look at it, uh, I can see kind of a progression. Yeah. In fact, if you look at my page on LinkedIn, uh, I very much value the progression that's that's obvious and just looking at going from Harvard to McKinsey to Pepsi to computer vision where I again had a great opportunity in fact that's where you and I met right I was at computer I went there in 1980 so I was at computer vision from 1980 to 1985 when we were uh, taken over and and you know, there was dramatic change, but it was a great five years for me because I was able to put to use at a successful, interesting, rapidly growing computer, you know, technology company with all that I had learned previously. So that, that was your traditional employment period. Yes. Just outlined during that period of time. Did you benefit from 
uh, you know, mentoring. Did you have some mentors you could point to that were really instrumental in your development? Fred, that's a great question. I don't think so. Yeah. Was that a function of the culture or who you are that you I think it's seek more out or- who I am. I'm, I'm, I've learned that I am pretty assertive, egocentric, and arrogant. Okay. Yeah, for, <laughs> which, the, for, which, the, for, for the younger listeners, those probably aren't the three attributes you want most. Would you, If you had to look well, back. I don't know. I, well, you look, know, I want to add humility to that, but I'm not sure I can do that in all yeah. honesty. Okay. Uh, would you, if you look back, would you think you would have benefited from some mentoring? Would it save time? Would it gain knowledge? I think I would have benefited tremendously. I yeah. always felt like I was a little bit on my own, yeah. you know, deciding to go to Pepsi from McKinsey and, and then kind of leaving Pepsi, where do I go? And and one of the reasons, by the way, that I left Pepsi was that the head of HR, who the senior VP of HR, was the worst boss I've ever worked for. Mm. He was 100% driven by political priorities and games and and so on and so I learned a lot about what not to do right uh, and what demotivated me and others my colleagues well, how about I, the flip I, side who was your best boss not naming names what were the attributes your best boss had I think my best boss was a partner at McKinsey. And when you're a partner at McKinsey, you know, you work 90 hours a week, you travel 90% of the time, and you're all over the world. But Lee was his name, always had time for me. And he had been there for 13 or 14 years. He was highly regarded, but he was the first person that I ever worked for who I would say maybe understood coaching. So when I said I didn't have a mentor, I think maybe I forgot about yeah, uh, about him at that point. McKinsey has a culture that is truly developmentally oriented. And in fact, one of the wide, uh, most widely used coaching models in the world today called GROW was really developed and, and refined at McKinsey in the 1980s. But I also have to say that my boss at Computer Vision, who you know, uh, was also a, manage, a good person to work for. He gave me incredible latitude. He trusted me, valued what I did. So okay. that, that's, and, that's and the of, flip side, you being a mentor to others, uh, over the years, have you had that I, opportunity? I, the, have you looked at yourself yes, as a mentor? Yes, I, I think that's a good, a, a good point, an important point and a good question. To some degree, I think I had kind of a natural mentoring style or orientation. And, and here's the other thing that I want to uh, insert. That is, for some reason, I had an intuitive sense that networking was important. So way back when, you know, in my Harvard or, or McKinsey days, and certainly at Pepsi and, and until today, I intuitively understood the value and the importance of networking. It was through the development of a large network of people in my field and related fields that I think I was able to start an organization called the Human Resource Leadership Forum back in 1983. And I believed in networking, I believed in professional development, and I always 
when I talked to people and mentored them or tried to help them with their careers, I remember always coming back to this point of networking and being involved in professional organizations. And not just being a member, but being a leader, contributing, being involved, being on the board, give presentations, you know, contribute, be of value. And I think that, that, that having done that throughout my career was invaluable. Okay. Now, at some point you decided to leave corporate America and go into a consultancy role. What, take me briefly through that. I... I wasn't a good corporate person in that I always wanted to do my own thing and pursue my own idea and and I wasn't good at and had a distaste for corporate politics and and there was a period in my career I think when I was at Pepsi when I aspired to be the head of HR for a significant company that was my aspiration what I really what was important to me and what I got my pleasure from and, and value was not managing and dealing with all of the corporate stuff, but it was from the doing, the hands-on, the coaching, the development, the training, the, the uh, working with leaders and, and so on. So I kind of had this sense that after a while, you know, that that aspiration I had doesn't really motivate me any longer. What motivates me is to, because at that point I had a substantial network with major consulting firms and, and so on, I realized that I wanted to go back to what it was like to work at McKinsey, although not as part of a large organization. And I think I felt comfortable enough that my network would support me in going out on my own. So in 1986, I left Computer Vision. I remember the day I left, I had a one or two assistants and a staff of 20 or 25. And on Monday, I was sitting in a spare bedroom in my home in Lexington, and I had nothing. I had didn't have a telephone, no business card. And so... If I could just interject a yeah. question here. You know, you've talked about the, the push away from corporate America. You've talked about the pulls towards consultancy. If you could talk a little bit about the skill set you believe you had to be a success in that environment, and maybe for anybody listening who is thinking about going into consultancy, what kind of skills and, and experiences do you think they need to have? <clears throat> well, I think it's two or three things, Fred. But as I've always told my children uh, and others, being a successful consultant or successful human being, for that matter, is about 80% uh, interpersonal skills and 20%, you know, content or, or other kinds of more functional, practical skills. And I think I brought a certain level of interpersonal competence and relationship building to my consulting practice. And I think at some level, I had the awareness that, that I had that, of developing relationships, working collaboratively and effectively with others. When I look back now at my 32 years of having my own practice, I believe that even more strongly. And one of the things that I'm most proud of in my 32 years of consulting is having long-term relationships 
with clients. A 17-year relationship with Dr. Bose at Bose Corporation. Working with Gillette for 15 or 20 years consecutively in all of their businesses in 20 countries. My relationship with a couple of companies in Asia for 20 years. So, you know, I think the only way that you're able to sustain those relationships is through being someone that they can trust, someone they're comfortable with, someone who they know is competent and who's going to be able to uh, collaborate with others within the, the, the organization. So I think those are some of the skills that I knew I had that were important to be successful as a consultant. So I, I had some level of awareness that that I could do that, that I brought that to that, that role of, of consultant. If we could go back in the timeline when you had launched, uh, we get this question a lot. Uh, it's one thing, you knowing how to keep business, getting business when you first launch. Uh, any advice or experience you can draw from in terms of getting, getting business? I don't know how unique I am in this regard. I would say over the course of the 32 years that I've been doing this, that 70% of my business has come from word of mouth okay. rather than more traditional marketing. I was so lucky because when I go back to that first day sitting in my spare bedroom that I mentioned earlier, I got a call from the CEO of Computer Vision saying he would like to talk with me. He asked me to do some work for Computer Vision in Amsterdam and, and some other locations. That kind of got me started. But getting new business was a matter of being at play. We've got to be at play, which means you've got to be active in the market that you want to you know, be successful at, that you want to build uh, a presence in and a brand in. And being at play means you're calling people to have lunch. You're going to professional organizations. You're making every presentation that you can. You're meeting people. You're, you're helping people. You're bringing people together. You're, you're out there. And I think that it was through that kind of awareness and orientation that I was able to, you know, meet people. And so when they had a need for leadership development or management training or OD or team building or, you know, they would think of Doug Adams. Right. And that was kind of what my, my purpose was, my goal. Right. So it was being at play. It was being involved. It was networking. It was doing very good work building relationships and that's how you know uh, your first piece of business came from your prior employer and oftentimes your values where <coughs> you've been and going back to where you've been uh, for opportunities I think is a great way of starting how about the, the role of emerging technologies you, you had a domestic you know customer base that you supported and then it went international uh, without technology that would be a lot more difficult to do. Uh, why don't you speak to the, the role of technology, whether it be the laptops that you're working off remotely uh, or the, the phone uh, is an instrument of 24-hour-a-day, seven days a week communication. So I've gone from absolutely no technology whatsoever to, you know, obviously where we find ourselves today. 
And it has transformed the way I do business, where uh, I just, I marvel at how technology enables all of us. Let me give you a quick recent example. Uh, there's a very well-known, successful, uh, rapidly growing technology company, web-based company in Boston. And about three years ago, uh, the CEO asked me if I would do an assessment of their board of directors. When it came time to give my final report, I was working in Sri Lanka. They needed the board to have this final presentation on my findings and recommendations. And I'll never remember how incredibly easy it was for me to give that presentation to the board sitting at my desk in my hotel room in Sri Lanka with each one of them was in Silicon Valley, one was in uh, New York, several in Waltham, Massachusetts, where they were headquartered, and one or two in other places. And so through Skype, I gave this presentation and uh, I, you know, it probably lasted for an hour or so. And I do a lot of coaching and meetings now on Skype, voice over computer network and other, you know, types of technology. So uh, it's made life uh, much, much easier and more, more doable. Okay. How did you develop your international business? I wish I could say that it was a finely tuned strategy, <laughs> but in fact, uh, when I was, it, I guess it began at McKinsey when I worked in the London office of McKinsey for a while, and then I went to Pepsi, and of course, uh, I think, you know, I worked and had a kind of a global role at Pepsi, and then at Computer Vision, I did programs uh, and projects in Europe and other places for Computer Vision. As U.S. companies rapidly kind of internationalized, if I can use that word, in the 90s and, and the kind of work that I was doing required me to, to work internationally. So it wasn't an intentional strategy, but a kind of an outgrowth or part of the projects that I was doing and the relationships that I was uh, engaged with in, in a lot of different companies. Mm -hmm. And then I have to say that when I discovered, I think it was primarily through my work with Gillette and Citibank, that I really enjoyed and valued my international work. It's then that I became a little bit more aggressive about seeking it out and and talking with companies about what their needs were internationally. It started kind of serendipitously but then it kind of developed and built uh, built on its own. And then I began to, to be more aggressive about it when I realized this is something that really interests me and, and uh, that I want to do. Okay. Doug, <clears throat> what do you think the skills and experiences are that really help a person launch a management consulting career? Well, I think, first of all, it's, it's formal education. I don't think that uh, with anything less than a master's or an MBA gives one the credibility and the content knowledge to compete in today's marketplace. So I think that's absolutely critical. Number two, being willing to work very hard, long hours, 
Number three, as I said, being able to develop relationships with people uh, and sustain those relationships over time. Number four, being able to network and be active in the marketplace that you want to develop your practice in. And, and being someone that people know, trust, uh, and feel comfortable working with and, and relying on and, and uh, recommending to others. So it's formal education, being one of the best at the skills required in whatever the discipline is that you're consulting in, being able to build and sustain effective relationships and collaborate with others, a, a clear strategy in terms of how you want to build your business, what markets you want to play in, developing relationships over yeah. time. And as you said earlier in our discussion, uh, building some uh, real branded experience, work experience with some best practice companies that establishes credibility yes. as an independent consultant. Absolutely. So if you look at your career, uh, how about good luck and bad luck? Any have you had good luck or bad luck if you reflect? I think that I've been blessed. Okay. I feel so much gratitude and I feel like I've been incredibly lucky. I mean, when you just look at kind of the pr progression that I talked about earlier and going from one organization or position or level to another, I think that there's been a huge amount of good luck. I, I can't think of bad yeah. luck. I, I can't think of something that I would call bad luck, Fred. See, the, the, the genesis of the question is that uh, we do a lot. We make job changes. We build skills. We take chances. And, and for the most part, that's based on what we do. And occasionally we run into good luck or bad luck. The person that uh, doesn't take the offer in the pre-IPO firm that would have given more wealth but also more exposure to a certain area and as you say in your situation you know job changes or skills learned or people met uh, you've been fortunate and uh, I, I, I have been fortunate and I have missed some of those IPO type opportunities but I was never I think I can say this safely and honestly I don't think I was ever driven primarily by compensation or wealth generation. The other thing that I'd, I'd like to say for those people who might listen to this, I worked very hard uh, throughout my career. And I think that that has a lot to do with the success that I've had. I, I think that's a key ingredient and in in an issue here as well. Uh, I was willing and able to do that. I loved what I did. I loved my work. Uh, and that was a great enabler and motivator as well. How about a lesson learned uh, as you look back? Uh, if you're talking to a, either a younger Doug Adams at 21 or a person looking at ultimately getting into management consulting, uh, what, what advice would you give that person? It's a great question. There are some things that I regret. Many times through my consulting career, wanted to write a book because I thought some work that I was doing or had done was interesting and would, would help others. 
and because I thought it would help me with marketing and with my career and my business. But I didn't. I didn't do a book, and I regret that. Uh, I, and a number of times in my career, I uh, began to take some steps to build a business, not just a sole practice. And I didn't, for various reasons, pursue that, as you know. And I, I have some regrets about not doing that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I have enjoyed my freedom immensely. I would tell a younger Doug Adams, be more clear about the instincts that I had to grow my business or to take it in a different direction. Uh, and I think what I did a number of different times was I chose the safer strategy or, or route rather than want taking a little more risk to build an organization. On the other hand, I remember, you know, during recessions when friends of mine had to lay off people and I, you know, avoided that experience as well. So that's a choice and yeah, it's uh, it there's is. a plus and a minus connected yeah. to it. The the point you made, I think that might have some benefit especially for the younger careerists is the importance of hard work in building a reputation. I I think of a lot of younger workers, and when their in-basket is empty, they stop working, when in fact they've got to ask for more. So that builds good habits, and that reputation precedes you in networking and Absolutely. helps you build a, a corporate life as well as a consulting so. There's a There's a, a woman at the University of Pennsylvania who's recently published a book called Grit, and it summarizes her research and others' research in career uh, success. And grit is this, uh, it's kind of effort times motivation equals, you know, achievement. Right. And she's learned whether you're a cadet at West Point or a young consultant at McKinsey or wherever you are, that effort and hard work uh, trumps, you know, a lot of other attributes every time. Right. And I just look back and and uh, I don't regret, you know, how hard I worked and uh, how important that was in uh, my career. Uh, one last question. If you had to rank how satisfied you are with your career on a scale 1 to 10, 10 being, you know, excellent, uh, where would you rank your career? I would say an eight or a nine. I, I I just have to say that, you know, I have been one of the most fortunate people that I know uh, in terms of what I've done and, and, and the work that I've done and uh, the global travel. and I, So I would rate it as an eight or a nine, I think. And I just want people to understand it's about being clear about your values and your priorities. It's about having the ability to be introspective and honest with yourself about your strengths and weaknesses, constantly learning and developing yourself, as well as the more traditional issues around networking and and the, the things I've talked about. In closing, uh, Doug has brought out a couple valuable points. Uh, The biggest one, I think, has to do with the the value of hard work, wherever you are in your career, and the returns. You referenced a book called Grit, where effort times motivation equals achievement, 
and I think that's a particularly good thing to remember. He also spoke uh, strongly about the, the, the value of being an active member in associations. Uh, that was his life, and he, he formed one. He was uh, a leading participant in one throughout his career. We thank uh, Doug for his contribution, and we look forward to others. Thank you very much.